Psalm 96 says this, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Welcome to the Scripture and Plain Reason Podcast. An engaging podcast where we affirm the authority and the clarity of Scripture. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Well, listeners, it's been a little bit. We've uh, taken a little bit of a sabbatical. I know that I've had some crazy things going on in my life. And Brian, I know you've had some things going on as well. Why don't we start off and just share with our listeners a little bit of an update on what's going on in each of our lives And then we'll get into this new topic that we're going to talk about here over the course of the next few weeks. And just a a shout out to the listeners that have reached out to us and said that they understand why we were taking the little time off. I know, Ryan, you recorded a a little bit of an update about why we were taking some time off, and it actually went longer than we thought. But uh, it's great to be back and looking forward to uh, diving into these new topics as well as updating our listeners. So uh, I'll start us off with some of what's been going on in my life. Certainly family has uh, taken priority, especially in relation to some things that have been going on with work. Uh, I was away for a full week over the weekend with heavy duty workload on the West Coast. And so that has certainly taken time away from my family, which I've tried to overcompensate for. And um, I've been spending a lot of time with uh, Nikki and the kids to try to catch up because even a full week with weekend included away is really tough. I really miss them. Uh, we have a puppy now, and I think I shared that with our listeners a while back. Get What's a new- the puppy's name? The puppy's name is Charlie. Charlie is a English cream lab, and he is a great puppy. He's Starting to become a little bit more of a terror. He's, I think, get approaching six months. I so believe, he's not almost. as calm as I've noticed him to be. The times I've been over for recording in the studio is he's not as calm as he's been. He's not. He's starting to climb on the table and on our ottoman. I will say that we've always said that Charlie is probably physically disabled in some way, which is perfect for our family because our other dog for sure has a mental illness. And so with Charlie, uh, <laughs> he's got a floating rib. Animal he lovers out there right overbite. now are so offended, but uh, I, they, I tend to are. agree. I've, I've met your dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and they're great dogs. We love them. But uh, with Charlie, yeah, again, floating rib. Uh, he's got an overbite that is going to require us. It already required us to pull his bottom incisors out his puppy teeth. And then when his permanent teeth come in, we're probably going to have to grind them down because if we don't, because of his overbite, they'll press up into the top of the roof of his mouth. Are you also thinking um, of of maybe putting braces on later for the dog or is is that out of the question? (laughs) That is completely out of the question. I know a great orthodontist (laughs) if you need help. Let me know. (laughs) Yes, I know you do. I, I don't think we'll be taking... Charlie to Dr. Lee's to get <laughs> braces, thankfully. So yeah. And then on top of that, he doesn't bark, which again, I'm not complaining about. I know you've noticed that Brian, when you've come over, he's just 
walks up and, you know, he doesn't bark. But I think he's got some kind of sinus thing or deviated septum because when he looks up, he like grunts and like you could just tell that there's something going on. But he doesn't bark, which is a fantastic So, is he thing. trying to bark? I don't think so. Like his mouth is always closed. Even when people come in the door and Gracie and Mikey are going crazy, he just runs up and doesn't even bark. I mean, he does start to like growl a little bit when him and Gracie are playing because they do really enjoy each other and enjoy playing with each other, but uh, never gets to a bark. See, I always thought when I've been over and he's not barking that the reason is because kind of like our kids, my older kids, they did all the talking. So the boys, when they were born, they didn't need to do much talking because the girls were always talking. And I figured that Gracie and Mikey are, are barking so much that there's no need for Charlie to bark, but maybe there's more to it. Yeah, that's true. That, that certainly could be it as well, because Gracie does uh, and Mikey do their fair share of barking that we're appreciative that Charlie doesn't bark. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like. Our ears would be ringing every time someone comes to the door. Maybe just bring Charlie in a quiet room and, and ask him, you know, why don't you bark, <laughs> bud? <laughs> We can give that a try. So that's what's been going on with me. How about you, Brian? What's been going well, on? Well, I, I appreciate you asking. And I know some of the listeners already know because they're connected with our church. But um, my youngest daughter, Carissa, is a freshman at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. And she's been experiencing uh, Lyme disease, uh, late stage Lyme disease with some other co-infections that are also late stage. Those were diagnosed about a year ago. And so um, she actually was doing great for about nine months, almost a year before she went down to school. And um, then quite a few of the most um, debilitating symptoms reoccurred toward the end of October. So I took a trip down to help her, uh, try to assist her to go to classes because some of the symptoms, again, just, just make it difficult for her. And uh, we ended up getting a, a week of kind of emergency cuts for her to try to wed with the Thanksgiving break to hopefully give her time to heal and strengthen to finish a semester. Unfortunately, uh, she's still experienced quite a bit of challenges uh, physically. And so we brought her home after Thanksgiving and um, she's trying to heal up, convalesce. Unfortunately, she took some falls, and she's also experiencing now some some pretty difficult back pain. But uh, the school's working with her, and she's going to try to finish her credits up remotely. And I'm very grateful that they work with her, the registrar, and her instructors have worked with her. But being away, it was difficult to try to record any of the episodes. And But uh, it's great to be back, and thank you for our listeners who are praying for my daughter. I wish you'd continue, uh, that she she'd heal completely and particularly right now for for this uh, pain that she's experiencing after the falls we'd really appreciate your prayers on our behalf but um it's good to be back i will say just as we exit this part of the episode um a lot's happened with our football teams since we last recorded and mine's all been bad and yours has pretty much been good so um i don't know that we need to say more than that except uh we were humiliated embarrassed i don't know what other adjectives I could use to describe what happened on Thursday night against the Bills. But all I can say is we have a defensive coordinator who is our offensive coordinator now. And it's beginning to be demonstrated on the highest level that he is 
calling plays that are easiest for the defense on the other side to pick up and to stop. His brain is really mixed up. He just doesn't know what to do. He knows that uh, he should be calling plays good for the offense, but he is a defensive coordinator. So uh, that's really hard. And by the way, I was rooting for your Patriots, which I don't think I've been able to say that for the last 20 years. Uh, but I was. I was rooting for them this past Thursday because it would have made it easier for the Dolphins to win the division. Uh, I think the Dolphins still have a, a steep hill to climb to win the division. And it's going to be a, a really, really tough six games that they have ahead. But they are 8-3, and three, and it's exciting. And we missed basically the recap of the three losses that we experienced with our listeners, with the Dolphins. So uh, the Dolphins were 3-0. and We were flying high. You and I were talking about this. And then three straight losses. And then we never really recorded an episode after that. They've run on five straight wins, and so it's been a it's been a fun ride, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy for you. It's been difficult for me to to rejoice with your joy, because I know you've tried to weep with my weeping, but um, my son, my oldest son, and my youngest son, they they've never experienced a patch where the Patriots have just been bad, not mediocre but bad. What we saw on Thursday evening was bad. So um, this is all new for us to watch our team just be so bad. And now I'm starting to be able to understand what the other 31 teams fans have gone through uh, during this wonderful stretch that we enjoyed for almost 20 years. Well, this will demonstrate your true fandom going through patches like this, and especially as it lasts potentially five say ten that. years maybe don't say that <laughs> by the way uh, at basketball the other night i was uh throwing a, a deep pass across the court to somebody and it got a little away from me and i'm a lefty and the miami dolphins quarterback is also a lefty and your son turned around and looked at me and he said that's how two is going to look once he gets into the playoffs i i heard that <laughs> snarkiness um but it did bring me just a tad bit of joy to hear it uh, from from my son. <laughs> well, Aiden, if you're listening, the only similarity that you're going to see with that throw is the left arm because two is going to kill it in the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I will find myself – I don't know if I'll be rooting for the Dolphins. It'll depend on who else uh, from the AFC gets to the playoffs. But at this point, I can't imagine another AFC team that I would want to cheer for other than the Dolphins, if they get into the playoffs. And I know there are some of our listeners that really despise this little path we take when we start talking about these teams. So I want to apologize for that. I want to say one more thing, and I promise we'll end it. But there is a rumor out there. I actually heard it first from my son, Aiden, and then I saw two or three articles about the possibility of when Tom Brady's a free agent next year, he would return to the Patriots We'll just put that out there. We'll tee it up for another episode where we can have an update. But what if? Not too worried given how he's looked so far this Ooh. year. But yeah, let's <laughs> let's stop there. Uh, I do want to just say one more thing with regards to your situation, Brian. I know we've been praying really hard for you and your family. And you asked our listeners to, to pray for Carissa. I would also encourage our listeners to pray for you and Becky. I know firsthand how hard it is when you're seeing your daughter 
uh, or your child go through what um, Chris is going through. And so I, I encourage our listeners to pray for Carissa, but also pray for you too, because it's a challenging time. Thank you, friend. All right. So I think it's important to kick off this episode, Brian, with just a little introduction to our topic over the next few weeks. So why don't you introduce our listeners? Absolutely. Topic. Our topic is going to deal with musical worship in the church. And I want to start by saying neither you nor I, we are not musicians. So no one has asked us to join the worship team. In fact, as the pastor <laughs> at the closing song, um, generally the sound booth knows, turn off Pastor Brian's mic. So we're, we're not coming at this from a musician standpoint, but we really want to ask the question, what should congregational singing when we gather on Lord's Day be like? What do the scriptures tell us? In fact, uh, one of the most often repeated commands in all the scripture is to sing. So we want to talk about what that looks like and uh, what it looks like in our congregation. What should our congregational singing be like every Sunday that we gather together? So that's going to be the topic. We're also going to try to answer some questions that are often posed about this topic. And uh, we're looking forward to our next two episodes are going to be interviewing uh, Chris Anderson, who has written about 60 different modern hymns uh, for the church. We've sung His Robes for Mine at our church before. Um, Another one that I really appreciate that we haven't sung, that to my knowledge, is I Run to Christ. Maybe that'll be one we learn as a congregation soon. But he just came out with a book called Theology That Sticks. And he's making an argument for singing good hymns in the church. So we've got a two-part interview coming up with Chris Anderson after this episode. So uh, the next two episodes leading up to Christmas. And actually, one of those episodes deals uh, some with what we sing at Christmas. We're going to have a book giveaway again, like we did with Elisa Childers. Uh, So that's the topic, kind of an intro. um, And we'll see where we go with this. Yeah, I love it. And I'll echo your perspective on me, at least, from not being a musician. You know, I've been told I have a good voice for radio. I can assure you that my voice from a singing perspective is not good. And so I am not a professional on this topic, but it's still exciting to hear about it and to learn about it. Yeah, I've never stood beside you uh, during our song service that I remember. I do remember standing by Joe Boldock, another close friend of ours, another elder at our church, a few times. And I remember one time distinctly, we were standing by each other and we were singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And I looked over at Joe because he sounded horrible. He was loud like <laughs> I was. I sounded horrible. I was loud. And I looked over at him and I said, Oh, for one tongue to sing his praise. Um, and we kind of <laughs> chuckled. Um, so praise God, he never tells us that we have to have a good uh, musical voice to sing. Uh, he does tell us to sing, and he actually tells us on a few occasions to sing loudly. All right. So I think we want to get into a little bit of our background, right? And and how we grew up and maybe how we are worship in the form of singing has evolved for each of us. Yeah, that's a great there? way to start just our personal because we've talked about this they're quite different Mm -hmm. um i was raised in a christian home i was saved at 12 years old july 3rd 1985 my mom 
played the organ and the piano, but she played the organ almost every service. Um, we had a traditional organ. It was a not a Southern Baptist church by denomination, but it was what we would refer to as kind of a Southern gospel independent Baptist church in the South, which means um, we got happy when we sang. Uh, we sang a lot of Gaither songs, a lot of Southern gospel songs. That was what I cut my teeth on. We'd have groups like the Burns Trio and other um, singing groups, Rochester's that would come in and have Saturday night singings. Um, so, But my mom, when she would play the organ because my dad worked second shift, he would often find himself at work on a Sunday evening or a Wednesday evening, and my mom would take my brother and me to every service that the church had. That would be men's meetings, ladies' meetings. Every time the door was open, we were there. My mom would play the organ, of course, as I mentioned, and we would sit on the front row. So it was God preparing me to sit on the front row from here till he comes back as a pastor. But we would sit on the front row and mom would say to us before the service, you're to take your hymnal, hold it up high. She would practice with us at home how we're supposed to hold the hymnal, Ryan. And she would say, if you're not singing out to the top of your ability, I will leave the organ and take you out and deal with you. Mom was not giving, she was not giving idle threats. There were times where she would leave the organ in the middle of the hymn and take one or both of us out and deal with us. And we would come back and sing the Lord's praise in a better, more energetic way. And the congregation would just they would just to continue, continue, continue to sing. <laughs> well, the pianist would still be going, so the organ was okay, was an good. addition. Uh, so it didn't totally yep. disrupt the singing. It just disrupted my brother and myself's bad behavior. But consequently, I I still sing out very loudly. And I don't know if it's kind of like a, in, in my deep, dark subconscious, because I'm afraid my mom will show up and deal with me if I don't. But there have been many occasions where my wife or our children have tried to get me to, to lower the volume when I sing. But you know what? It's not just because I have to. I, I found myself as a uh, saved by grace believer in Jesus Christ that the Lord has put a song in my heart now. And many of these hymns that we sing, these spiritual songs or psalms, the truth just ignites my heart. And even though I'm not a great singer, I don't have a great voice, these songs move me emotionally and I, I can't help but sing. And so I often sing loudly, probably because that's how I was reared, but I sing energetically because these truths touch me deeply. So that's my story. What about yours? Yeah, real quick. Was there a lot of uh, like clapping and moving around down south when you were singing? Oh, yeah. Well? I could tell you so many <laughs> stories. I'll just give you one. There's a s- song out there called, I don't know the name of it, actually, but it, it starts with very patriotic about in New York Harbor stands a lady with her torch raised to the sky. The second verse starts talking about the cross, and it says, On lonely Golgotha stands a cross where my Savior died. Well, our choir would sing this, and we would sing it with them as a congregation. On the first verse, one of the men on the back in the choir 
would come down and grab the American flag and bring it in front of the communion table. Then on the second verse, when they started singing about the cross and Calvary, another man on the back row on the other side would grab the Christian flag and bring it down and hold it right there in front of the communion table. Well, folks would get so emotional that people would start coming down from the choir around the altar, they'd call it, around the stage, the platform. People from the the congregation would do it. And sometimes so many people would leave from the choir, there was nobody left in the choir loft until they file back in there. And we would just keep singing the chorus until everybody got back in their position. And a few times a preacher would come up and say, God's been here. We don't even need a sermon. We can just go home. Now, I sense totally disagree with that, but yeah, things would get emotional. Yeah, so my story, certainly different. I grew up Catholic, so uh, going to church every Sunday, I was dead silent. I didn't really feel it, and I wasn't really excited to go to church, so going to church and and singing was not something that I I would do, Uh, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago, I remember going with Nikki to her church at the time. I was not saved at the time, but I would remember going with her just to be with her on occasion, maybe once a month, uh, because she really wanted me to go with her. And there would be a lot of singing going on, and I would still have my mouth shut and not really participate, uh, because again, I wasn't feeling it. I do recall within a few weeks of me calling out to the Lord, starting to feel something different about music and the songs that we were singing in as a a church body. And I started to just participate. And like you, it wasn't about being forced to, it was about really feeling the need to just start opening my mouth and singing to the Lord. And it was an amazing experience and continues to be an amazing experience uh, as we worship God in song. And as we talked about, I definitely don't have a good voice for singing, but I try to sing loud because it just feels good. And I I know I want the Lord to hear me worshiping him in song. So yeah, it's, it's a fun experience and it's been definitely a transformative experience as well for my life. That's an amazing story. When you think about, I don't know what kind of impact music, even secular music had on your life prior to your salvation. But it sounds like singing wasn't part of anything in your life. And um, I'm just reminded that that one of the distinctions about Christianity, right, is we have a singing faith. It's unlike uh, Muslims, they don't gather to sing. Buddhists don't gather to sing. But Christians, we gather and we sing, and sometimes we sing a lot. And um, your testimony, your story is one of what Psalms tells us. Psalm, uh, I think it's 40, talks about how that I was brought up from the miry pit and I was set upon a rock. And then the Lord put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And what you're describing is after regeneration, when you were saved, there was something implanted in you that that wasn't there before. And... uh, Mm -hmm. You know, my story is I grew up in a Christian home and that distinction between having to sing out loud or mom would take me out and wanting to sing Mm -hmm. is kind of blurry. But for you, there's that clear distinction when you were drawn from 
from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. And that was the moment where you began to want to sing. Really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've often shared my coming to faith story and I've often said, I don't remember that like point in time where, you know, I called out to God and I felt so, so different, but it, it is a reminder when sharing things like this, that there was a, a clear path of uh, coming to, to faith. And this is a perfect example of that. So good. You know, I just want to say a few things, I think, Ryan, and we'll finish this episode by way of introduction. Of course, we're going to interview Chris on the next two episodes, and but then we'll probably finish on the 26th. We may bleed into the 2nd of January on this to conclude. But really, again, we want to answer the question, why should the church be singing? What should the church be singing? Is there an emphasis on congregational singing? And that's going to be our main argument versus like special music. Not that that's bad or solos or worship team. Really, the focus in the New Testament seems to be on the congregation and what the congregation is singing. And I just wanted to read from Psalm 96, just a few verses to kind of set the stage and, and then make a few more comments. Psalm 96 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And again, here in this passage, we're reminded again that God commands us to sing. And I I like what you just said. You said that one of the things you want to do when you sing is you want God to hear you. And it it raises the question, why does God command his people to sing? Over and over again, he tells us to sing unto himself. Well, Well, maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons is he likes to hear us sing. So at the very base level... I mean, we can talk all theological reasons why he wants us to sing. It glorifies him. It helps us be discipled. We're able to speak truth to one another. All these things are true, and we'll talk about them. But at the very base level, God enjoys and delights in our song. So he's given us this new song, and it brings him great pleasure to hear us sing. And when you look at the early edition, Ryan, you go to the book of Revelation and you see in chapter four and five, the gathering of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, we're all singing together. So this is not something that we just do here and now, but it's something we're going to be part of our our eternal state in the new heaven and new earth. It's not that we're going to be singing nonstop as a choir and we never do anything else in the new heaven and new earth. There's a lot of activity there, a lot of industriousness, a lot of exploration. But one of the elements of the new heaven and new earth is that we're going to continue to sing together this new song that God has given us. So what we want to talk about in this upcoming series, among other things, is how singing shapes our thinking as disciples of the Lord. So one of the things I think Chris is going to mention in our interview with him is that people often, and this is a disappointment to me as a pastor, frankly, people will remember what we sang on Sunday more 
than what we preach on Sunday. So the outline that I can generally give people, they may be thinking about that some, but they're going to be remembering those songs because they'll be singing them to themselves often during the week. So it makes it really important for us to consider carefully, prayerfully, scripturally what we sing on Sundays because we understand that that might be the biggest takeaway in terms of content that many believers have from one Lord's Day to the next. And so you're talking you're talking almost a theme associated with the overall message on Sunday which would tie together your sermon to the songs that we sing. And uh, I'll just, for encouragement, I I noticed that. I noticed that on church on Sundays, that there is that theme and that tie between the songs and your sermon. Right. And while we're recording this on a Saturday, tomorrow we'll worship together. This won't come out until Monday. But tomorrow we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, and and God is at work in the darkness. Here, Zachariah and Elizabeth have been praying for a child. She's old. He's old. There's the, the regime of Herod the Great, which is oppressive. He's cruel. They haven't heard any word from God for over 400 years. No angelic vision for 500 years. No series of miracles for 800 years. There's been nothing but darkness and longing for their Messiah to come. But yet what we find is this is now going to go from darkness to light, and there's going to be this beginning of the forerunners, John the Baptist's birth announcement, and this breaks the silence. So we're going to sing a song tomorrow, a very traditional, familiar Christmas carol, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, come to set thy people free. That hymn is perfectly in line with the whole longing that's in Luke 1. So I'm hopeful that even if people forget some of the details of the message I'm going to give tomorrow, the talk that I'll give, the sermon that I'll give, that I'll preach, they'll remind, be reminded of the words of that Christmas carol that basically are preaching the same message, but in a lyrical, musical fashion that they'll be able to take away. Maybe I could give you this quote, too, that I I found. One is kind of a secular quote, but then there's another one that was actually given by someone who was trying to say how important it is about the songs that we sing. The first quote, secular quote, it's, it's kind of accredited to a couple guys, so I'm not even going to try to say who said it, but here's the quote. Let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes the laws. So let me make the songs, let me write the songs that people sing in a nation, and I don't really care who makes the laws. What he's touching on is people's thinking. It's shaped by the music, by the lyrics that they love. And then this is the one dealing with the church. It's similar, but here it is. Let me write the hymns of the church, and I care not who writes her theology. Let me write the hymns of the church, and I care not who writes her theology. So what we see and what we sing in the church is going to have an incredible foundational impact on what believers believe. So if we have a regular diet of banal, shallow, perhaps even lyrics that could be sung to another human, your boyfriend, your wife, your your husband, whatever, 
that could also be applied to God, but they're not really saturated and rooted in doctrinal soundness. We are actually making shallow disciples because they're going to remember those lyrics perhaps even more than the sermons that are preached to them. That's really helpful, reiterating the importance of worship and worship through song in church. If I could just add a PS, and the PS would be over the course of these next few weeks leading up to Christmas and then after Christmas, uh, let's think about the Christmas carols, the hymns, the Christmas hymns that we're singing each Sunday and on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day this year as it falls on a Sunday and ask ourselves, are we singing really sound biblical Christology and theology that we can own and carry with us. Good test for us. My name is Ryan. And my name is Brian. Join us next time for more scripture and plain reason. God's word is true and God's word is clear. <laughs>